Welcome to the Leadership Playbook, the show where successful leaders share what they learn to get to where they are. This podcast is an offshoot of the Albers Executive Speaker Series. And it's brought to you by RSMUS LLP, the nation's leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on the middle market. I'm your host, Joe Phillips, the Dean of Seattle University's Albers School of Business and Economics. Our guest is Brad Tilden, Chair and CEO of Alaska Airlines. Alaska Airlines flies to 115 destinations throughout the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and Costa Rica, and in normal times serves over 44 million passengers. Alaska is a Fortune 500 company, and in normal times, one of the most profitable airlines in the U.S., and it's headquartered right here in Seattle. Brad Tilden is a 30-year employee with Alaska and was named CEO in 2012. Before joining the airline, he spent eight years with Price Waterhouse. He grew up not far from Alaska's headquarters, and his undergraduate degree is from Pacific Lutheran University, and he has an EMBA from the University of Washington. Brad has been ranked among the top 50 corporate leaders in America by Fortune magazine and named Executive of the Year by the Puget Sound Business Journal. In addition, he was one of 12 leaders featured in the book, The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility, written by Marilyn Gist and featured in a previous edition of the Leadership Playbook, so we're definitely going to be asking him about that. Not too long ago, Brad announced that by the time this podcast is released, he will be handing over the CEO role to Ben Minicucci, the current Alaska president, while he stays on as board chair. So welcome, Brad Tilden. Welcome. Thank you so much. Usually you're getting to our campus to speak to an MBA class, but of course you haven't been able to do that the last year with COVID. Maybe we can get back to that once COVID disappears or goes away, but for now we're going to have this podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joe. I'm really looking forward to this. I've enjoyed everything I've done with Seattle U and looking forward to the next bit of time we spend together. Great. So, you know, I mentioned the pandemic, so we could start there with a few questions in terms of how it's impacting the business. Sure. You know, you were already in a very turbulent environment before the pandemic arrived. And when it did, you know, airlines were one of the most adversely impacted sectors. What are uh, two or three of the most important things you think the airline has done to keep its head above water in the last year? I mean, you sort of said it as you teed it up, Joe, but airlines, this industry does seem to serve up a crisis every three or four years, whether it's 9-11 or the global financial crisis, or maybe it's something with competition, but COVID was certainly one of those and it hit the industry really hard. I think when 9-11 came as a reference point, our revenues in the subsequent quarter were down roughly 25%. It was 26%, maybe it was 24%. But once you commit to a schedule, we've got a lot of fixed costs and our revenues are totally variable. So anyway, 9-11 revenues fall off 25% in the quarter following 9-11. With COVID, I mean, our revenues are still down 65%. We had 25 days in a row where the revenue line of our P&L was cash negative. We were refunding more tickets than we were selling new tickets. We had 55 days in a row where we had more reissues than new credits. And so this just hit us really, really hard. And we're a year into it now, and our balance sheet is in really good shape, and we feel stable. But at the onset, it was like, wow, this is a significant public health crisis. It's a very significant financial crisis. And so what were some of the things that we did? I think the stuff that you guys would talk about in your business classes that all good businesses do our values that Alaska Air Group has, and they really served us well. But we do 
like to keep a very conservative balance sheet. It's just sort of the type of people we are. So we keep our debt levels in check. We try to keep a lot of cash on hand. We keep aircraft that are unencumbered that can be used as collateral to get more capital if we need it. Honestly, we've gone and borrowed a ton of money since COVID came and we tried to keep it all in the bank. We keep a strong balance sheet would be a really big one. If you looked at our finances coming into the year, we had our margins were quite good and we had room. In terms of customers, we're really proud of our loyalty. We're really proud of our mileage plan and the terrific customer loyalty, but we don't want to be a business model that's really reliant on those really high fares because those people are more vulnerable when, when a crisis comes. So keep a strong balance sheet, keep cash on hand, set yourself up so that you've got debt capacity. You can borrow if you need to keep your cost structure low, try to keep your fares as low as you can, keep loyalty high. That's the stuff that's going to get you through the crisis. And I think those are the most important things we did. If you're interested, we could talk about sort of crisis response, but I think those are sort of the most important principles that we've lived by for a long time that put us in relatively good shape as the crisis came. Great. You said you're probably doing a lot of things differently than you were pre-COVID. What are some things you see that you've started doing that would continue to do post-COVID? I try to look at a lot of things through the lens of our employees. And I know a lot of the leaders here feel the same way. And Alaska wins when we are fantastic for our customers, when we're safe and we're on time and you get on the airplane. I know you like to fly us every once in a while and you have a good experience and you're smiling and you, you feel at ease. You're going to whatever your destination is and it's a good experience. So with that in mind, we try to stay close to our employees. We try to answer their questions. We tr- if we're going to buy Virgin America or expand into Hawaii or have a new fair or a new promotion, we try to communicate with them a lot about what we're going to do. And we try to also make ourselves available to hear what they're seeing out on the front line and what they think we need to know about that we can help respond to. So long-winded way of saying employee communications is really important in our space. It's important to our company, but it's hard. One of our former leaders said it's, it's hard to run a business when your employees are moving away from you at 500 miles an hour. So it's, it's hard in this space to sort of stay close to your employees. But Microsoft Teams has been just a real godsend for us. We've done, I want to say eight or 10, but I bet it's more like 12 or 14 Teams calls. We get thousands of people on the typical call. We've gotten a lot of really good credit for just tell the unvarnished truth, as good or as bad as it is, just tell our people exactly what's going on. If we do need to furlough, reduce the size of the airline, tell people exactly what's going on so that people do feel anxiety when you do have a crisis like this. And I think them being told the truth, having access to information, Teams has been great because it made it really easy for them to, to dial in and ask whatever questions were on their mind. So connecting with our employees through video conferencing, video technology has been a a real positive learning and something that I'm sure we'll continue with post-crisis. Yeah, it's definitely infecting our sector as well, as you might suspect. Yeah, for sure. So eventually we'll get out of this. What do you think the best case scenario for recovery for the industry might be? Not the worst case, right? Because everybody's asking about that, but I'm asking the other side of it. We're pretty optimistic people here, and I personally am optimistic. I do believe that there will be less business travel. You go to a big sales conference with a thousand people, or you're a pipeline worker in Alaska getting up to your job, or you're a salesperson going to close a deal, or you're an engineer going to close. There's a lot of different types of business travels, what I'm trying to say. But I think some of that trip where 
two engineers were getting together to collaborate. I think Microsoft Teams or Zoom, these products work pretty well. So I, I do think we're going to be dealing with that. But the world is getting smaller every day with social media. And honestly, Microsoft Teams and Zoom is going to make the world smaller. And I think, I know when I started at Price Waterhouse 40 years ago, like it was exciting for me when they sent me on a business trip, you know? That was sort of an expression of confidence in you if, if you got assigned by your company to go travel to Portland, Oregon or something like that. I do think people have a need to, they want to go to Palm Springs. They want to go to Hawaii. They want to go visit Alaska. They want to go to Yosemite. They want to go to Yellowstone. I think the upside is that we get the shots in the arms. We get the vaccines. We're getting way, way down the backside of wave three right now. I think the upside is people get out there. They start flying. They go watch Seattle U when one of your teams is playing out of town. Kids from California fly up here to go to school in the classroom in sessions. Parents come to see them once in a while. I think that's the upside is we return to life as normal and people enjoy getting around and uh, and they do so. I think you're somebody who kind of always wanted to be in the airline industry. Yeah. What would you say to people that, you know, might be thinking about airlines as a career? What would make you optimistic about, you know, starting a career in the airline industry? You know, it's a great question. Like, I'll just tell you, I just turned 60. And I do remember a little guy watching the Saturn V rockets take off into space and spaceships landing on the moon and that lunar roving vehicle. I remember seeing my first 727 when I was a few years old at Huntsville, Alabama airport. Honestly, air travel, airplanes, aerospace, it always had an allure to me. I think maybe people now it's more tech or it's more gadgets or something like that. But I, I honestly think companies like Alaska, I think there's still a lot of people that still believe in the magic of flight and love aviation and aerospace. And I think we still got to find a lot of those folks that are going to make their home here. I also think the magic of Alaska is people connecting with one another. It's people that want to serve one another. They want to be around other humans. They want to be a part of a company that's involved in the community and giving back. And hopefully, I would like to think doing the right thing. I think we appeal to a lot of young people on that basis now. I think that'll continue to be the, the case in the future. So we say you love the smell of jet fuel. You, you love being around engines running and all that stuff, which I think is a very legitimate sort of hook. But I honestly, I think the real magic of Alaska is people serving other people and helping them, helping them achieve something in their life, whether it's the grandparents getting to see the grandkid, lovers seeing one another, businesses closing the deal. I think between those two things, Joe, there's going to be lots of appeal for folks to come to places like Alaska. But that's an older guy talking. I ask one of your young students if that's the truth. I'm sure it is. You know, it sounds like culture is really an important thing in Alaska. Absolutely. You know, if COVID lasts just a few months, culture is less of an issue. You know, people know each other. But then as time goes on, you're having to hire new people, bring them in and so forth. So how do you kind of nurture the culture and keep it going in this kind of a situation? It's a great question. And I do worry a lot about that. A very specific application from that is we've seen that a lot of work can get done from home through just remote working or tying in via Zoom or Teams or whatever. But I do think the energy, the excitement, I think a lot of the mentoring, I think a lot of the opportunities happen through closer contact. And so as we look forward, I think Alaska, like a lot of employers, is going to be looking at a balance of sort of 
more flexibility for our back office employees, people that don't have to be at the airplane to work or, or what have you. So I think we'll be looking at more flexibility, but I think we will have a pretty strong foot in the camp that we win when we're together and we're here to be around each other and to, to support our employees. And that's what our job as leaders is to do. In terms of what we've done to hold the culture together, I do think the biggest thing we've done, Joe, is what I mentioned. We told the truth even when, uh, when the truth wasn't very pretty at all. We just sort of sucked it up and just said, look, this is what we see. This is our plan. And we always try to connect it. This is how we're going to come out of that. And Alaska is going to break through those clouds and find the blue sky and, and get to cruise altitude. But we did always try to anchor it in a realistic picture of where we were. You know, the other thing that's come along to impact all businesses is the Black Lives Matter movement. And of course, the business sector has earned its fair share of criticism around the lack of racial diversity, especially in leadership ranks. How has Alaska stepped up and responded to the BLM movement? And have there been different changes to company practices or strategies around that? One of the things that started happening at Alaska is our Black employees started sending us notes and reaching out to us and saying, you know, I'm nervous when my black kids go running at night. Or we had a vice president of flight operations who retired a long time ago. And he, he wrote me an email and then we talked and he said, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty tough guy and I've gotten through a lot of things. But he said, this is really affecting me emotionally and affecting me personally. And our employees in several ways let us know that they really wanted Alaska to, to stand up and take a stand on this. Pretty early on, we put a letter out to our employees and we put parts of it up on our own website where we basically said, black lives do matter. We stand for racial equity. We stand for racial justice. What's happening is wrong. And the key line of the letter said, we must do better. We are better than this. We've got to do better. We did listening sessions with our black employees. I think we scheduled six, ended up having seven or eight of those. And a lot of people told stories of stories that you didn't want to hear of their experience in life, generally stories of their experiences at Alaska Airlines or Horizon Air, which didn't make you proud. That was where it started. And then we went from there and said, look, we need to make some commitments out of this. And I think a lot of companies have worked on this for a lot of decades, but it does need to be different this time. And we need to move the needle. So at Alaska, our commitments were in three areas. They were to representation, basically in our employee ranks generally, but also representation at the most senior level of the company. And then we made commitments around culture and we made commitments around public leadership on the issue. And I think a lot of our folks were really on board with us making commitments around public leadership in this area, but not 100%. Even that commitment there drove a little bit of a dialogue. Joe, what it'd be interesting to sort of talk to Seattle U students, but my sense of young people from the ones I talked to is that in the old days, they might have expected government to solve these problems or looked elsewhere to, to find the solution. But I think a lot of people are turning to business today to say, you know, there is a moral imperative. You need to use your voice. You need to use your platform to make the world more just, more fair. And, and I don't know how much platform Alaska Air Group actually has, but I do know we've got some platform. And I, I just think we shouldn't sleep well at night until we know that we're doing everything we can to deal with systemic injustice, systemic racism. And, and so we're working hard on it. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking on the subscribe button now. 
This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. I mentioned in the introduction that we recently interviewed Marilyn Gist, one of our emerita professors, and she published a very interesting book in the fall, The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility. And you were one of about a dozen business leaders she featured in that book. So I have a couple questions for you around that, of course. Sure, shoot, go ahead. First one is, before Marilyn came and interviewed you on that topic, did you really think much about humility and leadership? I would say that I did. And by the way, Marilyn was a terrific instructor. She was one of my instructors at the University of Washington, where I did an EMBA, and she was extraordinary. And I would say, candidly, it is something that I had thought about. My predecessor here at Alaska was a guy named Bill Ayer, who was just an extraordinary leader, a great model of a humble leader. And one of the things that I sort of recognized in him is that people like to follow people that are humble. If someone doesn't have all the answers and they're saying, look, hey guys, I need help with this. The global financial crisis just plopped itself upon us or this COVID crisis. I have no idea what to do. Will you guys help me? That's infectious. It's contagious. People want to be a part of that. I saw a terrific example of a very humble leader in Bill Ayer. And I I worked super closely with him for a long, long time. And it was a great example. And the quick answer is yes, I had thought about it. And how important do you think it is in being a successful leader to have that humility? I think it's important because people want to find leaders with confidence. And sometimes they interpret the swagger, you know, all of that. I got it all together as confidence. And I think confidence is displayed as sort of the courage to ask the question that seems like a dumb question, right? It's or you're comfortable sort of expanding the, the walls of a conversation or the boundaries of the conversation. I think humble people bring out the best in everyone around them. Conversation becomes a lot more broad. It's not just your own ideas. I think you're going to have a much better team result when you've got humility in the leader. What would be another important leadership quality in your mind? Humility, definitely. What else? People, every five years, they ask you some form of what are the two most important things in a leader or the four most important things. And I've had five or six things over the years, I would say. But I personally really like leaders that are curious, always asking questions, trying to learn. Why did that flight work? Why does this flight work and another doesn't? Why are you happy here? Why did you come to Alaska? How does the jet engine work? What causes lift in a wing? Like people that are always trying to learn, I think that's a really powerful sort of attribute of a leader. Values, integrity, do the right thing. I care about other human beings. I care about people other than myself. I think that's extraordinarily important in a leader. At Alaska, we've had different words for it over the years, but sometimes call it all in. You know, do you, I can't remember, Joe, do you ride bikes? I do. We want leaders like you are with that bike. You put your cycling shoes on and you clip into that bike. And if you're going up the hill, you're going to get more power out of the bike, out of yourself. You're going to get up the hill. If you're racing down a hill, you're going to get more power. But if that bike crashes, it's going to be ugly for you. That's the sort of leader that we want. We want people that are not sort of casual or not professional or not giving us eight hours a day. We want people that are sort of one with this company. Of course, you've got to have the functional expertise in your domain, but I sort of always assume by the time we're talking to a person that they have that. If we were doing the speaker series, you know, you'd be answering questions from students, not from me, right? So I have to ask at least one question on behalf of our students, which is... For sure. What advice would you give to a soon-to-graduate student? Like, 
when you graduated from PLU, what do you wish you knew yeah. back then that you know now that you would pass along to June graduates? You know, life is so much fun and it's all about growing and new experiences and sort of figuring out what you're meant to do with your life and what that special thing is that you were meant to bring to the world. And so what I would say to that young person that's just graduating from Seattle U undergrad or maybe their mid-career getting an MBA at Seattle U is work on that hard and don't be afraid to take risks in that way. Like some sort of risk you shouldn't take, but like with your career, with your vocation or your avocation, figure out what you we're meant to do in this world and go for it. If you want to be a dean of Seattle U, go tell Joe Phillips, I'm meant to be the dean of Seattle U. And if you're meant to be an academic or a doctor or a pilot or a teacher of children in a school, or I just think people should take more risks than they often take early in their life to really pursue their dreams with energy and passion. Great. Good. Thank you. What would you tell that young person? Well, I'm not the one being interviewed, but, you know, I think that was a very good answer. The other thing is to not underestimate how you can lead but not be in a leadership position. See something that needs to be solved, a problem that needs to be solved in your organization, and you can just step up and be the one to take the initiative on rather than wait for somebody else to see the problem or wait for somebody to appoint you to the right committee. Take the initiative and pitch in and solve the problem that needs to be solved. It's a fantastic answer. You've no doubt faced a few challenges during the course of your career, and just curious if you could maybe share one situation that you confronted and what you learned from it and how others might learn from your experience in that situation. Life has been absolutely full of challenges, and I will say that almost everything we've dealt with here in Alaska, it's been a little uneven. There aren't a lot of things where we say, oh my gosh, this happened to us and we put a plan together. Oh my gosh, that was just perfect. That worked. You know, it's the more typical thing is you put a plan together and they're like, whoa, that didn't work at all. And what I've sort of learned, Joe, is there's sort of a rhythm of operate in line with your values, do the right thing, work hard. We're working on COVID health and safety, or we're working on policies to keep people confident flying, like blocking middle seats or eliminate change fees. Every ticket is changeable. A lot of times when we're doing those things, you don't see the finish line until you're well past it. But I guess what I have gotten a confidence of over my life is that if you surround yourself with good people that are working on the problem, they're not BSing themselves. They've got the courage to actually look at the whole problem and put in real fixes to the real problem you're going to get there. I became CFO 10 or 11 days after we had a really bad accident off the coast of California where 88 people died. And we weren't sure we were going to keep our certificate and be able to fly. A lot of stories in the Seattle Times, and it was very, very intense scrutiny for a couple of years. Then we had 9-11. In 2008 and 9, we had the global financial crisis, which hit the industry really, really hard. 2012, 13, people in Seattle know we had a a former partner of a very large airline sort of come into Seattle and aggressively try to push us out of our own home marketplace. And then, you know, we bought Virgin America in 2016 or the COVID crisis of 2020. So the issues are real. And along the way, you've got labor contracts you're trying to get this or that labor contract you're trying to get settled and trying to create this sense of we're all in this boat together trying to move along. So I mean, there's stuff out there every 
day that you're working with. And I don't remember sort of the dramatic failure with the dramatic single fix and that got us to the sunny conclusion. But I will tell you that all of those things I became to really believe in the people I work here with. We say put the problems in the middle of the table and expose them to sunlight. So whatever the problems are, they're probably worse than we think. Just write them on a whiteboard. Let's start talking about it and then let's start make a plan. And and I believe in that. I believe you can work through almost anything. If you have the courage to be honest with yourself about what's actually going on, you got the courage to write down what the plan is that you want to implement. And then you ask people, will you help me? Will you help me execute this plan? That little summary of the history of Alaska, never a dull moment, right? Yeah, never a dull moment. That is, that is for sure. Maybe taking a longer view of things a little bit. What are you most proud of regarding your journey as a leader at Alaska? I am an airplane geek, Joe. I am a little bit that guy that likes the smell of the jet fuel in the morning. You probably know this, but I'm a pilot myself. I fly a lot, 170 hours a year or something. So I, I like that stuff. I think what I'm going to remember the most would be our employees showing pride in their company. Honestly, some of the battles that we've had in Seattle and we have, you know, all sorts of people show up at the Torchlight Parade and they're marching, flight attendants do the drill team. They're displaying their pride and having fun, having fun with our customers. We do a a day called Aviation Day in Seattle, which pre-COVID we did anyway, where thousands of kids and thousands of our employee volunteers come and just sort of expose young people to new careers and to a career in aviation. A lot of Boy Scouts come and earn their aviation or engineering merit badge at that as well. Or we had a an issue in Portland where we'd, we'd operated there for a decade and basically hadn't made a dollar. We had an okay market share, not great, but we had a big initiative 10 or 12 years ago now. We started sponsoring the Portland Timbers. We got way more involved in the community. We just said, we really want to sort of have the sort of hometown feel that we have in Seattle in Portland. And, and it was highly successful. And it's really, it was successful because our employees, people know when it's corporate versus when it, our employees got out there and they just represented their company. And so our company was very fortunate. We won the JD Power Award 12 years, 2008 through 2019, until they sort of changed how they measured it. And our employees won that award and always remember that with enormous gratitude. And we've been a high growth company, despite everything I talked about and all those crises that seemed like they were always there. We've grown 7% a year for 20 years and the industry grew 1% a year. So we're several times bigger than we were than we were 15 years ago, five times bigger than we were 20 or 25 years ago. We're a high growth airline. It's the human energy that comes from sort of executing your mission and doing what you do. That's the stuff I'm proud of. So not thinking about just the airline industry, but, you know, just the business sector more broadly, besides COVID, what do you think the biggest challenge is for business leaders these days? I think it's going to be tougher to lead in the future. Weren't there economists 40 years ago that basically said, look, if you just manage for earnings per share or manage for return on capital, everything else will take care of itself. But didn't Milton Friedman say something like that? He did. I didn't, but he did. Yeah. Yeah. I think today people expect you to totally embrace sustainability, that you need to run your business in a way that the world gets better because you were there. And the world gets better means the global warming stops, we, that we sort of turn it around and bring it backwards. And there are opportunities not only for white males, but there's opportunities for young black females or Latinx. I mean, there's opportunities for everybody. Communities need to get better. Schools need to get better. 
Airports need to get better. I think we're way more enlightened in 2021 than we were in 1960. But I think it's going to be harder for businesses to lead in, in this sort of new world. And I'd be very surprised if you weren't teaching classes about this right now. Yeah, I mean, there's the whole business roundtable pivot two summers ago, right, to saying it's not just about shareholders anymore. You have multiple stakeholders that you have to deal with. And I think that you're saying the same thing. That's right. So as you are going to be stepping down as CEO, or you have actually by the time our listeners hear this, you probably are too humble a guy to think about legacy. But nevertheless, what do you hope your legacy will be at Alaska Airlines? This business is a team sport. There is no doubt about it. Anybody thinks they can do it on their wrong, on their own, they will quickly learn that they can't. But I hope the reflection on this time of the company was that we were a high growth airline. When 9-11 came, I talked about the bad side of 9-11. The good side is we started flying to the East Coast. That's 20% of our network today. And the global financial crisis, I talked about the bad side of that. The good side of it is we started flying to Hawaii, and that's 30 flights a day to Hawaii once we're this summer, we'll be at 30 flights a day. I hope as people look at this time, they'll say they had a lot of fun. They blazed their own trail. They did things their own way. I hope they will say that they took good care of customers. I hope they'll say customers enjoyed flying Alaska, enjoyed being loyal to Alaska. They got a payoff. Mostly, I hope people say they did it the right way. They did the right thing. They were kind-hearted. They, businesses screw up, Alaska screws up, but they were trying. At every juncture, they were trying to do the right thing. Well, as a customer, I'll say you've, you've hit it out of the park in that regard. So thank you. Thank you, Joe. You know, Brad, it's been great to have you here with us on this podcast. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. And congratulations on everything that you've accomplished as CEO and everything you will continue to accomplish as the chair. Thank you so much, Joe. It's our honor to work with fantastic institutions like Seattle U. I appreciate you. I've known you for a long time and you show up at a lot of things that you don't have to. You're out there and, and you guys are a really important part of the fabric of Seattle. You're located right there, sort of in the middle of Seattle on Capitol Hill. So you can't avoid sort of being a central part of all of these conversations and appreciate you. We, we both have a lot more work to do. Let's keep focused on that. It's been a fun little bit of time we spent together. Thank you. You've been listening to The Leadership Playbook, the podcast edition of the Albers Executive Speaker Series at Seattle University. If you enjoyed what you heard today, consider telling a friend and give us a good rating on iTunes. You can subscribe to our show for free on your favorite podcast app or find us online at leadershipplaybook.org. Find out who our next guests are by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Joe Phillips, the Dean of the Albers School of Business and Economics, Thanks for listening.